Before I preach the sermon, I just want to recognize our father-son duo, Matthew and Robert Lund, for jerry-rigging the sound system this morning. You have a thankless job, and we just want to thank you. <laughs> good job. We seem to have a total system failure of the sound system. It's a good opportunity for me to remind you of year-end giving. <clears throat> we might need to buy a new sound system before next Sunday. Let me pray before we dive into the Word. Lord, thank you for this space. It's a holy room. It's a sanctuary. And this morning we're experiencing all these difficulties, but I pray that we would not be distracted from what you, God our Father, want to speak to us today through your Spirit, magnifying your Son. So come and fill this place. Open our ears to be attentive to what you want to speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace often appears where we least expect it. But when it does appear, it has an ability to transform a situation. Just two days ago on Friday, my family and I went to go get the family Christmas tree. You know, that activity in December that's always full of merriment and cheer and peace and harmony. <laughs> and we got the tree and we were leaving the store and we came upon a little bit of a scene in the parking lot. It was a tight-quartered parking lot and there seemed to be a woman in her SUV with her windows down, and she was very impatient about another woman who was parked in a parking space and not exiting as quickly as this woman wanted her to. So she was honking her horn, trying to persuade this woman. Like I said, the windows were down, so we were all kind of within proximity to each other. They were close quarters. And I saw this very impatient, frantic woman honking her horn, my children are plugging their ears. And I looked at her through her car window, and I did what every gracious, loving <laughs> pastor would do. I looked at her and I said, really? <laughs> yeah, you like that. Representing our church well out there. But then my better half, Nancy... She assessed the whole situation, gave me a little bit of a look for what I had just done, and she then introduced grace to the situation. She leaned in towards that car window at this frantic woman, and she very kindly said to her, you can have our space. And she backed up a little bit, and we pulled out and pulled in, and this woman just kind of melted in the moment. She felt so bad you could tell at what she had just done. Grace, it often appears in these unexpected places, but when it is in the situation, it totally transforms it, as I saw in the parking lot, getting our Christmas tree on Friday. This is basically the story of Scripture. It's the story of the gospel. We're in a bit of a situation here on planet Earth, and God introduces grace to our situation. There's a picture of this story in Isaiah. You just heard Jeannie read it a couple of moments ago. There's an image, there's an illustration that Isaiah has given us that tells the same story. He says, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. It's a picture, it's an illustration of God's unexpected grace that is introduced to a hopeless situation that changes the world. What is a stump? A stump is is simply something that's dead or something living used to be. 
It's a testament to a once thriving organism that has now been cut down basically to nothing. This is the situation in the nation of Israel that Isaiah found himself in. That what was once a thriving, living organism with health and vibrancy and bearing fruit had now been cut down. It had been diminished to a simple stump of its former glory. Why had the tree, why had the organism, why had the nation been cut down in such a way? Well, Isaiah actually gives us examples. He gives us chapter and verse of what had happened to the nation of Israel that was once former, formerly glorious. It says a stump will come, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. Who was Jesse? Jesse, you may recall, was King David's father. So Jesse and his wife gave birth to David, and David rose and became a glorious king over a thriving nation. And the track record of kings that came after him was spotty at best. There was corruption in the leadership. There was corruption in the masses. And Isaiah gives us chapter and verse of how it actually played out, beginning with the leadership. Picture this tree now, this thriving organism, beginning at the top, being diminished by the corruption that was happening. Starting in Isaiah 1, verse 23, look what Isaiah says of the leadership of this nation. Isaiah 1, verse 23. Your princes, or your leaders, are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone, in leadership that is, loves a bribe and runs after gifts. Can you imagine belonging to a nation where the leaders run after bribes? Nervous laughter. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. You see what's happening here? Isaiah is painting us a picture of the corruption in the leadership. They do the wrong thing. They accept and give bribes. They do the wrong thing when given the opportunity. And they don't do the right thing either. There's orphans and there's widows in their midst, and they don't respond to the need. This is the corruption that had happened in the leadership in the nation. They did the wrong thing, and when presented an opportunity to do the right thing, they failed to do that. Well, the corruption wasn't just happening in the leadership. It was happening in the populace as well. Isaiah 2 verse 8 describes what was going on in the people. It says this, Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. See, in the nation of Israel, people had done this very strange thing. They had created these little figurines out of wood and out of clay with their own hands, and they set them on pedestals, and they began devoting their time and their energy and their resources to bowing down to these things. I know it sounds crazy. We don't have anything like that in our society, things that we've made with our with our own hands that we spend all of our time and our energy and our resources. Those of you listening on podcast don't know that I've just pulled out my iPhone and I started playing with it with my hands. I don't know if this resembles anything in our nation, but there was corruption at the leadership. There was idolatry in the masses. And there were even people who didn't think that this corruption had affected them. They thought, I'm not a corrupt leader, and I'm not idolatrous. Well, there's a verse for people like that, too. Isaiah 5, verse 21. 
Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. That was me in the parking lot on Friday. And this is many of us. What Isaiah is showing us here is this image of this tree being diminished from its former glory. There's corruption at the top. There's idolatry in the masses. And there's even people who think they don't have the corruption. They don't have the sin that corrupts other people. These are self-righteous people who think of it that way. Isaiah is showing us what it says in the New Testament, which is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whether you're in leadership, whether you have idolatry in your heart, or whether you think you're not even affected by it, you are. The New Testament also says what the result of sin is. It's that we are reduced to a stump. What once was living is now dead. The New Testament says that the wages of sin is death. This is the diagnosis that Isaiah gives to this nation. You're a stump of your former glory. Sin has affected your leadership and has affected everybody. And you're now merely reduced to a stump of your former glory. But as is the case with our God, death is never the end of the story. The stump is never the end of the story for a nation or for a person. Because God is in the business of bringing life out of death. Isaiah said, you see that stump? We all know the nation has been reduced to a stump of its former glory. But look again at the stump. What do you see? A shoot. New life. It appears fragile at first, but a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. New life will come where there is only death. The wages of sin is death, but I will make something new. I will breathe new life onto this dead situation. It doesn't look like much. And the people of Israel would begin to see this this new branch growing out of a dead stump, and it would grow and it would grow. And we know that Isaiah was talking about Jesus when he was pointing to that shoot coming out of the ground. Look now again at Isaiah 11. Verse 2, at the way he starts describing this shoot. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Notice it says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. When all is lost... When a nation has been reduced to a stump of its former glory, God could have said, I'm going to introduce a new political party for you that will bring hope to your nation. He could have said, I'm going to introduce a new government program, a new idea, a new ministry, a new church. No, it's a person. And it's the person of Jesus Christ. And this shoot didn't look like much when it first entered onto the scene. It came in the form of a tiny little helpless baby wrapped in poverty and in scandal. And yet he would grow in stature and in wisdom. And this branch, this tree would grow and grow into a tree large enough to hang a man on it. And it would become the cross and Jesus would come as the righteous one, 
And he would pay the penalty for all of our sin. Look with me at verse 5 at this description of Jesus, the Messiah, who would come as the shoot out of the stump, the dead thing. In verse 5, it says this about him. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Notice how all the people of the nation were described in all of their corruption, all of their sin, all of their idolatry leading only to death. But this new man would come, this new person would come along with no sin, with no corruption, with nothing in him that would lead to death. Righteousness is the belt of his loins. Jesus would come and do for us what none of us can do for ourselves. He would live a perfect, sinless life, and in his grace, he would say, I will take the punishment for all their sins. All their sins result in death. They ought to be a stump, but I will grow up a tree and pay the price by dying on it for them. This is the hope of the gospel, our only hope as a nation that has been so stained by corruption and idolatry. It's the man Jesus, not a new idea, but Jesus who would die in our place. It says in verse 1 that this shoot that would grow up would bear much fruit. It wouldn't just remain a tiny little sapling that would be trampled over yet again. No, it would grow in strength and it would bear much fruit. Maybe the prophet Isaiah had this image in his mind. Matthew, can you show us this picture? This is an olive tree in Israel, and you can tell, can't you, that it was once a stump. It had been cut off. You see the bottom part? It's a stump. Well, guess what? A, a new shoot started growing up out of it. And it grew and it grew and it was getting the nutrients from that stump. It wasn't dead, though it appeared to be. And it grew into this large tree that now bears much fruit. This is a picture of us if we are in Christ. Our nation, our world, our hearts are stained by sin and corruption and idolatry. And all of that leads to death. But if Jesus is in us, he will bear much fruit through us. And what does his fruit look like? What does it look like if we are living this way? Not the way of death, the way of the world, but the way of the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of Jesus. Verse 6 begins to paint this picture for what the world might look like if a group of people was bearing the fruit of Jesus. Verse 6 says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. See, what's happening here is the fruit of Jesus is reconciliation. It is peace where there was once division. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. These former rivals shall be in harmony with one another again if the fruit of the gospel is being lived out. Let me try to put this in modern context just to try to make have this make a little bit of sense. What if it said the baby boomers and the millennials will honor and respect one another once again? Black people and white people will reconcile what has happened in our nation's past 
and we'll lock arms together now to tackle the real problems that are happening in our nation, to walk forward into a future together. We are in such a divided time right now, aren't we? We have figured out all kinds of creative ways to divide ourselves from each other. Right before Thanksgiving, I received a couple of different prayer requests from people that I know that were very interesting. One was from a a young person, a person in her 20s, who said, will you pray for me? I'm going to the family gathering around Thanksgiving, and I'm going to be there, and my uncle's going to be there, and, and he's a Trump supporter. Will you pray for me? And another person came to me, and he said, I'm going to my Thanksgiving table, and I have all these recent college grads in my family, and all they ever want to talk about is making me feel bad for being a white male. Will you pray for me? And we all gather together around these Thanksgiving tables. Maybe I'm describing yours. And we all come with antagonism towards each other and division and distrust. But what if that shoot, what if grace was introduced to the equation like Nancy did in the parking lot the other day? Instead of self-righteousness like I introduced in the parking lot that day. All I had was sarcasm and self-righteousness. Really? What if that's all we brought to the Thanksgiving table or to our society? We would just continue in this battle mode that Pastor David prayed about a few minutes ago. But if grace, if the fruit of the gospel is introduced, we will live in harmony with one another. The generations will figure out how to honor and respect. The races will figure out how to reconcile. May this be true among all the groups we've come up with, males and females. Even within marriages, there's opportunity for us to come together in reconciliation and to live in the fruit of this tree that God has provided for us that came out of something that appeared dead because he brings life out of death. Not only did he die on the tree, but he rose again. And that new life, that resurrection power, that shoot, that grace that's introduced in unexpected places, it can transform the world, and it can transform our hearts, and it can transform everything. You may have noticed that in the gospel reading today, John the Baptist came along, and he was saying, prepare the way. He even mentioned that there's an axe laying at the root of the tree. Did you notice that? This may be a warning for us that our nation is headed towards the same spot that the nation of Israel was headed. And you might ask yourself if it's true, if Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would come and the shoot would come out of the stump and he would bear fruit and there'd be peace and harmony and reconciliation, then why... Are there still people honking their horns in parking lots? Why is there still people mistrusting each other at the Thanksgiving table? Didn't Jesus come and bring the reconciliation that we all need and long for? Well, what Isaiah didn't know is that Jesus would come in in two comings. He would come first in the form of a baby, this tiny little shoot that looked fragile, but then he would come again in the form 
of the second coming, which would be mighty and victorious, and he would fully complete what he began in the first coming. And we find ourselves now somewhere in between the already and the not yet. And so John the Baptist says to us all, prepare the way, make straight the path, because when he comes again, he's going to reconcile everything once and for all. And the way that we prepare for that moment is through little reconciliations now between the races, between the genders, between the spouses, between the family members and the generations. That's how we prepare the way. We bear the fruit now, anticipating his second coming. This is our call as Christians. The fruit of the Holy Spirit ought to be growing off of our lives like fruit off a branch. In frantic parking lots and fraught Thanksgiving dinner tables and in our politics. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, branches of that tree of Christ, let us bear that fruit until he comes again. Amen.